This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever, and this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars, new season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Yo, what's happening? Coast to Coast Podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Right back at you. We are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. Thanks for being here. Joey Powell joining me as always, Sheryl McMillan, Sean Moran, coast to coast from inside Carolina. We're glad you're here. We're glad you have downloaded and or watching this show either on YouTube or listening maybe in the traditional podcast format. Either way, uh, we're glad that we're in your rotation. We hope that you're getting something out of the show and just uh, hope that you're having a good day when and wherever you're getting a hold of this here podcast. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Hasn't been a lot of action on the hardwood. North Carolina played UConn uh, and lost since we last spoke with you. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the big game with Kentucky coming up. Uh, and then we'll look a little bit into what the ACC might look like. Because after this exam break, y'all, it is full speed ahead. Tar Heels will be playing full on into the season grind right after this. They've, they've got the little exam break and some reading days. and A decent, uh, a decent gap in between uh, UConn and Kentucky. But uh, I guess first things first, Sean, I'll come to you. I saw North Carolina uh, – show a lot of moxie and a lot of grit in a game against uh, against UConn in which I realized just how good UConn is. Was your takeaway similar? And again, I always know you love the offensive efficiency numbers, and I swear to God, I felt like UConn was like two points per possession at some point during that game. But uh, what were your takeaways having seen uh, the defending champs host the Tar Heels in the Garden last week? I think uh, this time last week, I was pretty adamant that UNC was going to come away with a, with a win. And, you know, I, I think looking at that was looking at a UConn team that was very talented, but also a team that uh, is young and trying to, uh, you know, reinvent itself from that championship performance last year. But it turns out that the guys that were on the team last year have stepped up uh, and have still kept that efficiency that they had last year in bigger minutes and the newcomers, maybe not Jordan Hawkins level, but it certainly felt like that, um, you know, watching the team team play last week. So I was completely wrong on, on UConn and, and, you know, we'll see how the Kentucky game goes, but I think, you know, watching it and then rewatching it had some different opinions, uh, you know, watching it live. I, I felt really it was the first four minutes. I felt like UNC was, was the better team. Um, and they kind of, they were more prepared in that, very beginning, uh, but you could also see UConn um, just how they're, you know, what they do every game through that motion offense is they're going to develop uh, easy shots, some good looks around the basket, some open threes. They weren't hitting a lot of the open threes in the first half. Uh, and then 
I felt UNC maintained until the the 12 minute timeout. And then really from that point on, it was UNC trying to catch up. And I think we saw this a lot last year where UNC was a better team and they would have that five to nine point lead and they would give it up and, and let the game get away. Whereas UConn let it get down to five and then they, they, they answered very strongly. Um, so overall, I mean, UConn extremely impressive. They're just going to continue to get better, especially as their young guys uh, get more, more experience. And I think from a coaching perspective, their offense is pretty much like UVA's defense that is just going to give, you know, it's going to force the other team to make, make mistakes. And I think from a general standpoint, UNC played well. Um, RJ Davis really, you know, could not have played much better in the, in the second half, but what Sherell basically wrote and alluded to right after the game is they're going to need to find uh, other consistent scores um, outside of, I'll call it the big two of RJ and Harrison Ingram, because they've been the two that have played at that consistently high level all year. Um, obviously Armando will, will be there, but he needs to, you know, he, he didn't have a great, great performance uh, from a shooting perspective. He did from a assist perspective. Uh, and then who, who are going to be those guys that, that come along for the ride? We know Cadeau will every game. He continues to get better, but you could see he struggled a little bit with the physicality and, and with, with how you play defense. Um, so who's going who's going to be the bench and, and how, how are the other guys going to compete with RJ and Harrison Ingram going forward? And we talked a little bit about before, you know, before UNC got into the kind of getting to the meat of the season, that they would struggle on defense with teams that had big guards. And if I'm not mistaken, the next team they'll see in Kentucky has big guards. I do want to give you a little bit of props, Sean, in a sense that uh, you made the comment going into that game about what uh, Alex Caravan did would probably be a good watermark for how UConn did. And and I know Cam Spencer and, you know, and Tristan Newton are the flash, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Alex Caravan had a hell of a night. I think he, you know, he put up really strong shooting numbers. Um, he was absolutely cutting North Carolina uh, to death, you know, on those wing cuts. And uh, UNC really just didn't have a, a ton of things to stop him. And when they did, you know, they were, there were other guys that were feasting on that. Shrill, I mean, I, defend- I think one, sorry, one, I think a perfect, um, you know, it felt like UNC was down more early in the first half, but all of a sudden they're tied at 23 and you could tell UConn wasn't playing well. UConn puts together, or UNC puts together a tremendous defensive possession, and like Caravan makes a cut with two seconds left on the shot clock and and hits a little runner to go up 25-23. And I think, you know, UConn is they continue to to push no matter no matter what time. And at some point, they're banking on the defense breaking down with all their their movement and action. And that was a perfect example at a at a pretty important time uh, because UNC never got closer after that. Sherelle, I got the sense there was a lot of a lot of angst from the fan base about, and I don't want to say from a majority of the fan base, there was a lot of angst from the fan base about losing to UConn. And I think we're at this place where, you know, fans are going to fan. A lot of people will make the comments about moral victories and so on and so forth. I don't think that playing the way they did against UConn was a moral victory for North Carolina, but I do think there were still some positives to be taken away from that game. Were there anything, were there any things that you saw that you feel like bode well for the rest of the season? And are there things that you saw that could potentially continue to be, you know, oblique moments for this team that might be 
kind of a fatal flaw even. I think it's a little bit of both, especially when you talk about playing teams like Kentucky, um, Oklahoma, they have in a couple of weeks, and then really getting into the ACC slate after what you would hope is a tune-up with Charleston Southern. I, I think um, we're seeing the, the bench minutes starts to decrease, which you would expect in a game like UConn. I think the key is going to be um, for games against teams not uh, at UConn's level and even not at Kentucky's level. So a not picking on anybody, but just a Pittsburgh, a NC State, a Clemson, um, a Syracuse, will we see the same kind of bench usage in those games? Because it's totally understandable to to really cut down on the bench, especially in the second half against UConn, because they're, they're a really good team and you want to have who you think are your, your best players out there. And that difference between what your best players can bring and what your bench players bring could be the difference in winning and losing against a team like UConn. Against some of those other schools, maybe that's not the case. So that's one thing I think to look out for. Two, um, RJ Davis, you know, continues to be on a tear. Can he keep that up? Uh, we've talked about how he's been freed up a little bit, and Sean has done breakdowns. Uh, Adrian's done breakdowns about just how good he is at, at shooting off the catch and um, kind of just being a, a scorer. So can he keep that up? Uh, and I think he can. I mean, again, UConn is the best team that UNC will play in the regular season the rest of the year. And, you know, before the teams they played before, the teams they played the rest of the year. That's the best team they're going to play, period. And, you know, he had a, a really dynamic offensive performance against them. Um, on the flip side, I think, uh, you know, kind of wondering about exactly if Armando Bacot is hurt, if he's just not playing as aggressively as he hopes to, if he doesn't have, um, I think he called it a trash man mentality last year, if he doesn't have that still, kind of wonder what's going on with him and if he can kind of rebound a little bit and get back to being kind of the efficient rebounder that he needs to be he doesn't have to be the guy anymore i think with this particular team and sean i'm going to ask you about that in a second but he doesn't have to be the guy to score 25 points and and bring down 20 run rebounds anymore like he did at some points last year when they just didn't have any other way to score i think this team uh with harrison ingram's versatility and uh with godot's new ability to get into the paint and and finish or, or dish and then you hope that cormac Bryant can hit the shots you just don't expect armando baycott to have to carry so much of the offensive load and i wonder if there's going to be some time spent at unc talking about that and that you know maybe the team is better off if um i don't want to say not going to him every possession but just being more freewheeling and and not kind of forcing it in there so sean what what do you think about that like are, are is unc at a point where armando doesn't have to to be the guy he was last year well, i think you know it that goes to the the big two comment earlier of it's, it's really RJ as the top scorer and, and Harrison Ingram, who's been playing at that, at that high level. Uh, I think from Armando's perspective from, from rebounding, I think they still do need that uh, because they you know, they don't have the really the big bodies in that starting starting lineup, but I think offensively, I mean, it, you know, we, we've, we've seen it um, o- over the years and I think Kentucky Will be another interesting case now that uh, Bradshaw has has two games under his belt and he's seven one and and lanky and a and a shot blocker and we know um, you know Armando usually struggles with size and that type of body uh, although he might be able to use his strength against him but I think for Armando probably an, an ideal game has to be shooting over over fifty percent where he's converting some of those dump offs um, you know the the easy baskets that we continue to see him get I would love to. Um, you know, I, I think if T, if UNC is throwing him the ball, it's usually on that right block, and he's going to turn 
you know, over his left shoulder towards the baseline for for a hook if if he's not getting a layup. Would love to see what they did against Arkansas, trying to get him a um, easier look if he gets good position on that left block. But I also wouldn't mind seeing him on that left block where he's turning turning towards the middle for a for a short hook shot. Um, I think if he can avoid that left-handed hook that he did, and and you know we, we've seen a lot of hooks where he's been fading away. I think if we can avoid those types of shots, that will help his percentage. But I think if he can be a that third scoring option, uh, but at the same time, um, be finishing a little better around the rim. I think that that's ideal. Then it goes to <laughs> probably the, the next question of who's that fourth guy. And, you know, I, since we're talking about Kentucky and Baker, I want to be fair to him. The last time they played Kentucky, uh, no one wants to ever remember that game ever again in the history of life. But the only bright spot for UNC was Armando Bekai. I mean, he was going up against Oscar Shibway, and he, you know, dominated for, I don't want to say the whole game, but at least part of the first half. And he had a lot of a lot of points, a lot of rebounds. It was really the only one who brought, you know, anything up um, the, the entire game. So I want to give him credit on that. Shibway, I think, is uh, was a more proven defender and shot blocker than Aaron Bradshaw. Aaron Bradshaw. So I do want to give him credit there because there have been times where he struggles with length. Um, but th- you know, that wasn't one of them. So, uh, we can get more into Kentucky, but I just wanted to re- recall that game. Cause I know everybody has buried that game, uh, because it was so bad, but, uh, Big Hop was the lone bright spot for UNC. And that was two years ago. Yeah. So let's, let's, e- let's ease into that a little bit. Sean, what were you going to say? I was going to say, and th- you know, there's, we, we talked earlier, he had five assists in the game and, and I did like when they did get him in space and the decision-making he did, he did show one was, uh, Cormac Ryan's back cut. Uh, where he, where he had a, a perfect pass, and then the other was when he had the ball, you know, took a dribble to the free throw line and and hit Ingram uh, for cutting for a layup. So I wouldn't mind seeing him in in space. I don't think you want him, um, you know, making too many of the, those decisions. But I think he he can he can draw the defense out a little bit. Um, not to mention not have to deal with a double team at that at that space, and that can allow some of the other players potentially to to move and and get easier opportunities. So yeah, let's let's kind of continue on to the the previewing of UK. I think um, I, I think a lot of folks, you know, will probably recognize that that they lost to Kansas. Okay, nothing wrong with that. And they lost a home to UNCW, which uh, you know, Calipari actually played there for two years, I believe. Um, but I want to start digging into that a little bit. You know, we talked earlier and mentioned briefly on this show about. Um, how this North Carolina squad will deal with big guards, and I think you know you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of Wagner and Reeves on uh, on Saturday with you know Reeves is six six, just long wingspan. Uh, Wagner six four, and and even you know Bob Billingham is six three. So so North Carolina's going to be dealing with a little bit of size there. Uh, Sherelle, do you anticipate that being an issue for uh, for Cadeau and, and Davis or? Is this one of those things where North Carolina's ability to score should be able to kind of at least keep them, uh, keep them neck and neck with what Kentucky wants to do? Yeah, it, I think it's going to come down to one thing. I, I don't mean to be uh, super simplistic, but if Kentucky's making open shots, there's I, I don't know that there's a path to victory for UNC because they're such a prolific uh, three-point shooting team, which is a big change for Kentucky. Um, they have three guys right now shooting like above 45%. I'm going to pull it up real quick, but Dillingham is 19 of 37. That's 51% from three this season. Antonio Reeves is 25 of 58. That's 43% this season. 
and Reed Shepard is 23 of 39. That's 59% this season. So those three guys, um, you know, if, if they get open looks like UConn was getting now, UConn runs a lot of different motion and, and sets and everything to get their guys looks. And I don't think Kentucky necessarily does that. They try to just uh, use their natural athleticism and skill to get by you. Um, but if they're able to get those up and looks, it could be a rough night for UNC. I think what you look for for Carolina is to, um, it's part of the reason Carolina has been giving up so many easy twos, I think this year, because it seems like the defense is geared towards not allowing three point shooters to really, um, go off on them. Let's, let's say they're, they're really hugging that three point line a lot. Uh, and in Kentucky's two losses to your point, Joey, to Kansas and to UNCW, there were 17 of 55 from three, which is about 30%. So, it, I, again, not to be simplistic, but it's like if Kentucky doesn't make their shots, I think Carolina has a great chance. If Kentucky is uh, hitting at their averages, I, I, I don't know if there's a path to victory for UNC. I mean, I think the, you know, in, in terms of Kentucky, almost a similar profile, very strong offensively, defensively. Uh, you know, they're a little little lower than UNC, I think, in the, in the 50s. So, I think that bodes well. They are taller. You know, this team, height-wise, yes, athletic, you know, probably the most athletic team they'll face all year, you know, just with the, the skill of the, the freshman guards that, that Kentucky has with Dillingham, Wagner, you know, and Reed Shepard, who was kind of the forgotten forgotten one and now has played himself into, you know, I'm seeing him as a top 10 pick in, in mock drafts right now. Um, but I think, you know, really – they won't have to worry about being pounded down down low, uh, like a Villanova or even even UConn to a certain extent. Um, and then I think from a three point percentage, they're, they're shooting the lights out. But you had Reeves go three for seventeen against Kansas. Um, you know, and they struggled against UNC Wilmington. So, who is getting those shots, and and how contested are they? And then when they are missing, are they able to keep them off the boards? Uh, because UConn was able to at very key times um, almost pull what UNC usually does with some tap outs or getting getting the loose balls and there's nothing worse than playing good defense and getting those possessions extended um, when you need to be going on the offensive end. Yeah. And, and stats don't always tell the entire story, right? Like I think something uh, I think, you know, occasionally there will be a team that looks more to the eye test than their stats do. But one of the things statistically that I am going to look at, and I think will be uh, potentially an opportunity for North Carolina is that Kentucky doesn't go to the free throw line very often. Um, they're averaging uh you know, 13 free throws a game, um, you know, it, it's it's not, uh, that's not something that I think North Carolina is, I don't know that it's necessarily suited for North Carolina, but if it if it's something where they do get to the line a lot more than Kentucky does and they're able to make their free throws, you know, that's another place you can find some baskets. Uh, and that's one of the reasons they were able to keep up with, with UConn early in that last game was that, you know, UConn's threes weren't falling and North Carolina was scoring from the free throw line. And uh, that can certainly wash out sometimes and find you some, uh, I, I guess, some hidden points in a box score. Uh, guys, I I love that we talked about, you know, Baycott and Shibway's um, go-round last time. Um, Sean, I want to ask you, what do you think Bradshaw adds to Kentucky? I mean, he's, he's officially played two games now. Um, you mentioned his length earlier. What does he do that makes this Kentucky team more dangerous, I guess? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think going back to the summer, the question was, is, is he going to, is he going to suit up? And, um, you know, he, he certainly has just playing 13 minutes and, and 29 minutes, but you know, offensively he's, he, he offers 
uh, one, a lob threat. So if, if the Kentucky guards are going to get, get a step um, and get into the paint, that's, that's going to be easy, easy baskets for them. Um, you know, he, he does have, have some offensive skill. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him, you know, if he's the one shooting threes or, or Edwards, that's, that's fine. Even though I, I think Bradshaw can, can't hit them, but if he's floating around the perimeter, uh, that leaves him, you know, outside of the, outside of the lane. And then defensively, you know, just with that size and, and how he moves, um, you know, he's, he's going to be a heck of a, heck of a talent, especially once he starts to get his, his sea legs under him. So I think, you know, in this game, uh, you know, Lively presented a problem for Baycott because he, he knew how to play um, Baycott. Just wait, you know, wait, he waited for Baycott to initiate the contact and then he, he didn't foul and he went straight up. I think in this game, third game in for Bradshaw, um, Baycott can probably use some of that strength to his advantage and try to get, get the young guy in, in foul trouble. But it definitely gives uh, Kentucky much more of a presence around the rim defensively. Uh, as well as you know some some stuff that they haven't had in a while offensively, just with that size and length. Trill, are you buying or selling that Armando Baycott can can probably use the young guy a little bit early on? Um, and, and to to Baycott's credit, while he has not been uh, providing the points, I think that folks were uh, were expecting out of him every night in and every night out, he does seem that he's done a little better against against size this year. So, are you are you buying or selling that? Armando can can go a, a little a little old man education on uh, on Aaron Bradshaw when the heels and, and cats lock up. Oh yeah, hundred percent buying. I mean, Bradshaw is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but um, there's still a lot of potential just kind of baked into the projection of what he might do the rest of the season. And this will only be his third game, even though they are going to be coming off of a little bit of a break. It's only his third game, and facing someone like Armando Baycott, who's who's been around the block and, and like you said, has that old man strength. It's going to be um, a challenge for him and you know he I don't even know how much he's going to play like he'll he'll play some but they have other options like Trey Mitchell is a strong guy um, he'll be in there some Thoreau will be in there some so they have bodies um, that's the only one that's I would say comparable to Baycott as far as height and size um, so they, they'll they throw different bodies at him but um, the UNC staff also has to do a good job of, of you know getting Baycott I think he does well when they get him the ball and the move he's not um, you know he's he can he can he can get a, get the ball in the post, dribble three times, and throw up a hook shot. But I don't know if that's the best way to use him. Um, and you you've seen the UNC staff at times they they've done that where they've got him on the move, let him get a couple of dribbles so he can get into his spin, um, and, and that kind of thing offensively. So uh, I would look for them to to do that with him. I think Elliot Cadell will be important. Uh, to, to again, like Sean said, uh, while the guards for Kentucky are very dynamic offensively. Um, there is still a little bit to be desired uh, defensively. I think over at Inside Kentucky is not a site, but if it was, they would be having some of the same discussions <laughs> about the backcourt and the defense uh, with the the young guards that uh, we're having about uh, UNC's uh, backcourt right now. So, um, you know, Dillingham and Shepard are, are, are freshmen too. So mm-hmm. um, there's a chance for, I think, R.J. Davis to have a, a really good game against them so strength and weaknesses i don't think these teams are that different like sean said honestly they're they're built very similar um and then the other matchup i, I know he's asking about baycott but i'm just kind of rambling through matchups but um, no you know if if uh harrison ingram plays a good deal of three this game uh you know uh, on on saturday and he's facing antonio reeves i think that's a matchup that you would see get exploit because ingram you know is strong and 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 big and and older. Reeves is 
tall and older, but he doesn't have the strength that Ingram has. It, it could be a situation where, you know, you play through Ingram in the post, uh, especially when, when Reese is the cover. Now, if they switch to Edwards or some of the other guys who have more athleticism, then you might have to pivot. But um, Reese is being, getting the bulk of the minutes for Kentucky at the three. So that's, that's one thing to watch out for. I mean, I would, I'll just jump in real quick. I would say I would love to just, uh, you know, keep seeing Ingram on that, on that block as he, as he backs down until they prove that hey, either Ed, Edwards can defend this with his athleticism, but if he doesn't have the strength or there's somebody smaller like Reeves, you know, keep taking advantage of either Ingram getting those good looks or being able to, being able to pass out. I think for me, one of the things, um, you know, I'm looking, you know, for Reed Shepard, I think he, his defense has been highlighted in terms of how good his hands have been on, on ball defense. You know, are they putting him on, on Davis to start? Then how, do, you know, how does that look like on a, a senior versus freshman? But Reed Shepard defensively is one that I'll be seeing who they, who they match up with. And, you know, I think if they do find a weak spot, I would love to see them attack more on it almost, you know, not strictly isolation, but kind of, you know, the, the NBA style of, Hey, we're going to play this guy off the court. And I think they should have done that more against UConn with Cam Spencer, because when they did attack him, whether it was Cormac Ryan uh, one time off the dribble or back cuts or, or Ingram, and they, they were getting, they're getting baskets. Unfortunately, he, he was torching them on the, on the other end and would have loved to seen them go at him uh, more from an offensive perspective. I don't think any, anybody's going to be like that on Kentucky, but just in the future of being able to take advantage of, of things like that. Definitely um, will be fun to watch. I think uh, I think you should take the over if you care about that type of information in your life, uh, because I do think there's going to be a lot of points scored. Um, and it will be interesting to see what North Carolina is able to find against such an athletic team. I think there were times in the last year or two where North Carolina struggled against teams that had superior athleticism. And if we've known anything about uh, about Cal's teams over the the recent past, they're going to throw some athletes at you. And as Sherelle said earlier, this might be the most athletic team that North Carolina sees on their schedule. That's where the schedule that they've played so far, I think, helps them a good bit. Florida yeah. State is always an athletic team. Arkansas is always an athletic team. Uh, Villanova has athletes. I don't know if I would consider them a, a complete athletic team, but they have athletes. And then Obviously, UConn, um, I think they have some athletic players. They're more about precision and efficiency and those things. But it's not like um, there weren't athletes on the floor. So this is where the schedule, I think, helps you in that uh, I don't think they'll be surprised by Kentucky speed. Now, Kentucky will probably – there'll be some times where Kentucky takes advantage of it, but it it won't be shocking to them because they've played comparable – at least comparable um, teams with athleticism to, to start the season. So, Cheryl, one of the things you said a minute ago when you were talking about Armando Baycott was that he's been around the block a little bit. And I'm wondering if that block is East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Because if he's been around that block, then no doubt he's walked into Johnny T-Shirt once or twice. Uh, Johnny T-Shirt, big sponsors of this show, of Inside Carolina content. Um, and they are right there on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. If you are in town for any reason, go by and check them out. Uh, parents, for coming to pick up your kids from the end of the semester as they're finishing up their finals and you're bringing them home for – for the holidays or whatnot, go by. The uh, Johnny T-shirt folks have the 12 days of Christmas going on right now, um, and you can get something different. They're marking different things down every day for 12 days leading up to uh, the 25th. So check them out. Support them. Uh, If you have a Tar Heel fan in your life and you are unsure what to buy them, 
get up with Johnny T-shirt. They'll take care of you. They'll help you find you know the stuff that you need. They will also probably help you fill up that list. If you don't know who to shop for, go tell them. Let some of their uh, very intelligent, educated, knowledgeable staff get you hooked up with whatever it is that you're shopping for for that Tar Heel fan in your life. We appreciate Johnny T-shirt sponsoring this, and hope that you will show your support by shopping there. All right, take a break. National ads, you know the drill. We'll be right back. Talk a little ACC preseason. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for sticking around, Coast to Coast Podcast. I'm Joey Powell. Sean Moran, Sheryl McMillan with me, as always. Appreciate them being here. Uh, we've talked a little bit about North Carolina against UConn. We've previewed uh, the, the match against Kentucky coming up in Atlanta. I think now we've also had enough games going on in the league where we can actually discuss a little bit what the ACC season might look like. Um, so I'm going to throw out a couple of nuggets and let you guys uh, – Slide on, um, slide on down to that. Before while I'm looking at those stats, Cheryl, something about Armando you want to mention before we before we get into the the preview of the ACC season? Yeah, I, I do think uh, the, the fan base and maybe the media have been tough on him. I mean, he's a fifth year senior, so it, it's all warranted. I think there are parts of his game that they need improvement. However, uh, he's still rebounding at a super elite clip, and I, I think the cynical people will say, "Well, he's missing shots and." He's getting, you know, bunnies as rebounds and putting them back. They absolutely do say that, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Defensive rebound percentage, he's fourth in the country. So he's the only one. And I don't mean this as a negative to anybody else in Carolina's team, but he's the only one really rebounding for UNC right now. And uh, so I, I guess I would say, yes, he can do better around the rim, but he also is keeping UNC kind of in games and he's the only one rebounding for the team right now. They're not rebounding as a team is kind of if Romano doesn't get it then UNC likely doesn't get it so while there's some things that need improvement he's still doing that very very well yeah so as we talked a second ago North Carolina with the game against UConn will have a, uh, a game against UConn game against Kentucky will then have a game against Charleston Southern and I think that's it and then they're all all ACC games after that um, Sean pop quiz there is one undefeated team in the ACC right now who is it Clemson are you looking at the stats? Are you cheating? You're a cheating animal, aren't you? Or are you no. president of the of, of the Brad Brownell fan club? Um, I'm I'm not, but you know the the fact that they they you know Joe Girard as well as PJ Hall, two guys that have been been around the block, and I think they they had a tough game against South Carolina. I think the big one was the at Alabama win. I can't say outside of that have followed Clemson too closely, but. You know, they're at least holding their own, uh, you know, for what they've done in the out of conference, um, you know, and 
if UNC is able to get a win against them, that should bode well for the resume, since we're going to be all about the resumes, no matter what happens with Kentucky or Oklahoma. Um, I know we'll, we'll go there, but yes, I, I think uh, nine game win streak, and we'll see if they can finish off against Memphis and undefeated at a conference uh, schedule. It is. Yeah, it I is funny to me. Game. Sorry about that. No worries. It it is funny to me how each game has become a, a referendum on what might be in the future. So like <laughs> when 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 Clemson is is losing in the first half, I forget, they played um, TCU. When Clemson's TCU trailing TCU in the week, first yeah. half, it's like oh Carolina's that's gonna drop Carolina's net to ninety two, <laughs> and then then TCU comes back. It's like Carolina's nets back up to seventeen. It's like. You know, it's, it's going to so be frustrating absurd. to do this. Yeah, it's going to be frustrating to do this. And hopefully, as the net gets more information, it can be a little more accurate because you look at some of the stuff in it now and it's it's kind of wild. But hopefully, it's one of those formulas that, that fine tunes itself moving forward. But I just I'm going to go ahead and make it a decree on the show, mainly because I'm the host. We're not going to talk about the net until February. All right. That's, that's a rule for this show. I think the metric is so stupid, and I recognize it's something that they have to use, and I appreciate that everybody you know gets gets measured by it, but I am absolutely refusing to talk about the net on this show until February. So we're going to put that to bed now. Uh, yeah, and Sean's right. It is Clemson. Clemson's the only team in the ACC right now that's 9-0. And the cynic in me, which might shock you, hey, I'm cynical. <laughs> Clemson does this every year, I feel like. I feel like it's a hallmark of Brown Brownell teams that every season – they get out to like this, you know, great record. They jump up in the rankings, get to the mid-teens or what have you. And then conference play starts and they absolutely lose their minds. Like they'll drop six out of seven. Um, so I don't know that that's going to happen this year, but it does feel like we've we've had this chair pulled out uh, from under us before with Clemson. Um, but as you look to the rest of the top of the league, uh, most, you know, granted the conference has, has all only played one conference game save wake they have not played a conference game yet but most of the teams in the league have at least two losses the only exception being virginia with one and also the undefeated clemson team i mentioned but i think what we've seen is that the acc has played some good games not only individually um i've seen syracuse look good at times um i've seen uh, I, i've seen georgia tech look really good at times but i've also seen some head scratchers and and i would like to to come to you guys, do you feel like this um, this league could could end up being uh, as strong as we thought it was after watching the SEC challenge, or do we feel like there may be still some some underlying issues with how this team or how this league might bear out with some of the teams just being absolute dogs, Sherell? Yeah, I think there might be some underlying issues. Uh, you know, Miami, so Florida State uh, has struggled at times, but they beat a good Colorado team. But then Miami, who's supposed to be a lot of people picked them to win the conference, they come out and they get, you know, blown out by by Colorado uh, this afternoon. And it's just I don't know. There's there's not there's some good wins and there's some bad losses. And it just kind of feels like it's going to be just a, a puddle of mud come February where there's a whole bunch of teams who are like, you know, 10 and five or something heading down the home stretch and they're beating each other up. They're they're knocking each other's. Uh, oh, we can't say that word. They're 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 blank ranking. They're knocking that down each night. Um, then you got people like Louisville, who's just in a complete anchor on the conference. You you beat Louisville by fifty five, and your blank ranking is still going to go down. So I, I, it doesn't look that much different to me. We saw last year, Clemson was fourteen and six in conference, and I think they won a game in the ACC tournament and still didn't get in. So 
you're gonna have to if you're UNC, you're gonna you really need at least one, two would be great of these next two non-conference wins to uh, give your give yourself probably three at least three Q wins three Q one wins um, from the um, out of conference schedule. So you you kind of need those two because if not, you know I don't know if fourteen or even fifteen wins in ACC. It's crazy as it sounds is going to be enough to get into the tournament. We, we've seen that in the last couple of years. Um, and it, strength of schedule obviously is a part of it, but um, I, I see a lot of the same in the conference. That it, there's, not, there's not that great one or two teams. There's a whole bunch of kind of, I would say, between 17 and, and 30 uh, in the country you know, type teams. Sean, do you feel, like, um, you feel like there's a couple of surprises in the league, or do you still feel like it, it may be a, a you know, a five-team tournament league, uh, kind of around around what we've seen in the past when there's been bubble squads. Is that you know certain uh, certain committees fall in love with uh, with certain leagues, mainly the Big Ten and the SEC? Um, I mean, do you feel like there's there's a couple of solid middle of the pack teams right now that could end up doing some damage, or is this uh, same question I asked Cheryl? Like, is is this just a league of dogs? Is there anybody that that catches your eye right now? I mean, right now you have four teams in the in the top 40 uh and then i, I think you, you almost have the, the worst case scenario even though i think in general right now the acc is stronger than it has been the past two years but you have the acc ranked six you know behind all the other power conferences uh you have a few teams dragging it down not as bad as last year with louisville but you have a, a louisville notre dame you know florida state that are that are dragging things down and then outside of those top 40 teams everybody else is not going to be considered a a good win um but they're very easily losable games especially on the road because these teams can um you know they'll probably knock off unc one night and then lose to florida state the next night a team like Pitt, for instance so um you know and and not to mention our our friends down at wake forest and hunter salas you know i'm sure he'll he'll go off as well so it it's going to be really challenging um, knowing that you really can't afford losses, but at the same time, a lot of these teams aren't bad outside of, outside of a few and each game, you know, could, could end up as a loss. So you need to, you know, each game you need to take, take seriously. And, and especially with that three game uh, road stanza to open everything up, it's going to be, going to be challenging, but no, I don't think anybody's coming out of the the woodwork um, and shocking the ACC or the, the country, I think it'll be interesting to watch UVA who got absolutely destroyed by Wisconsin, but that's just their, their one loss. They've been no, no surprise playing, playing well. They'll probably, you know, only have two to three ACC losses. Um, you know, so they're probably a team, at least from an ACC perspective that might exceed expectations, but I think they're projected to be a top four team anyway. So um you know, it's going to be challenging. I think they, they performed better than they did last year, but it would have been nice to have a few more uh, teams in that upper echelon right now. I, I think it's I like Wake, I was just going to say, I like, I like Wake Forest. I, I think they've got some talent. You know, obviously they've had, uh, I think they've lost two or three games, but they've all been to Power 5 teams, if, if I... If I'm correct, uh, I think they they lost to Georgia and but, but not strong. Uh, you know, yeah, but not strong. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but I, I you know I, I think when you're in these games where teams are kind of evenly matched, I, I go with okay, who has the most talent and uh, you know kind of bet that way because 
talent most of the time, not all the time, kind of rises to the front. And I do think between Hildreth and, and, and Salas, those are two you know, players we think have the capability of being dynamic. I think Hildreth has shown it. I think Salas is beginning to show it. Uh, so Wake Forest could be one of those ones from the middle who maybe goes on a little bit of a run and, and, and surprises some people and makes the NCAA tournament. Just LSU, to get there. Yeah, LSU, Georgia, and Utah were those losses that Wake has so far this year. Um, but again, all you know, all Power Five teams, and uh, we've seen that you know LSU's got athleticism. Don't know anything about Utah. I haven't seen them play yet. But to your point, Sherelle, I, I do think they've got uh, they've shown that their coach is able to get them motivated, and they do have enough talent on that roster to potential do some damage. Anyway, I think the biggest thing for, for for folks that are listening to this to take away from the from the ACC talk is that um, the the league may be kind of meh again this year. Uh, but North Carolina absolutely needs to win the games that they should win, right? And and we've seen what that could potentially do to them when they're waiting for a tournament invite or they're they're pushing their luck. And so, if anything, to take away from this early part of the season, I think it would be that okay, North Carolina has uh, has won seven of their nine. They've looked really good. Um, haven't really gotten spanked by anybody, uh, which is not something you could say for prior years. Uh, and then hopefully, when they get into the league, they're probably going to be to quote Roy Williams, more gifted than most of the teams they play. So remains to be seen if they can continue to keep it up. Of course, they will absolutely drop a couple of games that, that they shouldn't, um, which I think you know, just about anybody in the ACC will do. Uh, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how this league plays up against them. Before we get out of here, uh, Sherelle, it's been very quiet on the recruiting front lately. Um, I'd love to hear you and Sean talk a little bit about Koa Peaks. I think he's a fascinating player. Um, but then after that, give us a little bit about why you think uh, why you think things are so quiet around around North Carolina and uh, and recruiting at this moment. Yeah, Cole Pete, uh, depending upon the most updated height and weight, is like six eight or six nine, and he's like two fifteen or two twenty five. So I'm not sure which one, but that's kind of where the the updated height and weights are. He's out in uh, Gl- excuse me, Gilbert, Arizona. He goes to Perry High School. And just a, a dominant, huge, massive, strong, athletic, you know, four. Um, I think he has designs on on playing some three, and I think whatever school he goes to will let him do that some. But he also has the ability, because of his strength and his size and his, his athleticism, to play some small ball, small ball five if needed. Um, there's not a lot of holes in his game. I think he's still developing his three-point shot. But you, you talk about being able to have someone who can come in day one and is ready for the rigors of ACC or, or Pac-12 or Big 12 basketball, I, I think he's it. And he's not even older for his age either. I mean, he's, he's a legit 2025 20, kid. He's 16 years old. Uh, just comes from a, a super athletic family. His brother is a starting offensive lineman for the Saints. Um, and then his sisters and his other brothers all played either volleyball, uh, basketball, or football. Um, his dad was an athlete. So just a, a super athletic family. And uh, he's been the only player from 2025 so far to take an official visit to UNC. He was there um, back at the beginning of November, I think it was, for an official visit. And then uh, UNC's followed up. Sean May was at his game on Friday night. So they are definitely making him a priority. Obviously, when you have someone coming out from uh, the West Coast, you have to think about Arizona, the number one team in the country, who's not far from where he is. And then the UCLA's, the Gonzaga's, the USC's, those type of schools um, who probably in for it too. And then he's got blue blood offers. He's got Kansas, Kentucky, um, Duke as well. So it, it's going to be a battle 
but I, I think so far, you know, he's visited Texas, Michigan, and Carolina officially, and then Carolina has continued to stay on him. So you would think that uh, they're in it right now. I think for for Pete, he's a guy that, you know, how you described him, Sherelle, is is a guy you wouldn't normally associate with UNC. I think usually it's more the the, the long and lean type type athletes, but nobody's going to be calling Cove Pete soft, um, you know, no matter where, where he goes. And I would probably take the under on that height measurement and the, the over on the, on the weight. I remember seeing him, I think he had just finished his freshman year and uh, this was down at Adidas tournament in California, just looking over. And I mean, he was, he was stronger, more physical than all the rising seniors at that point in time. Um, and I know he's only going to get, get stronger. Um, I, I think from a, a game perspective, you hit the nail on the head, three-point shooting. I think that's probably the main area of improvement. He was just, uh, I think, four of 21 uh, during Adidas AU play in terms of games that were that were recorded. But he's been playing at the highest levels from a USA basketball perspective, uh, AAU basketball perspective, and has been, uh, you know, leading the Perry team into the the, the state finals um, over the, the first two years. So he's been playing at the highest levels of competition um, and he can do a little bit of, a little bit of everything. So I think you could see in him slot in that three to five, five range. But I think the you know, you always want to, if you can find an undersized guy that can, that can guard the threes and has that outside ability, but is strong enough uh, to match up. I think that's, that's, um, you know, a really unique, unique recruit or unique um, player that you can get just because of that uh, versatility that they could bring offensive and defensively. And definitely seems like UNC has prioritized him coming out of all the really the top 10 offers that they made in that class. Maybe Sean May just likes to go to Arizona. I don't know. Um, but it would seem that that based on uh, travel and and chances to to watch Kopi play, uh, I would agree with that, Sean. Sherelle, not much else going on. What is your inclination as to why that's happening? It's a combination of things, really. Um, they've been done with their class of 2024 for not quite a year. So it was around this time last year that I think things, with, we found out that Elliot Cadeau was kind of close to the end of his recruitment. And then uh, about a week after that, James Brown, we found out New Year's Eve night that he was pretty much done with his recruitment, and he announced a couple of days later. And then two weeks after that, Ian Jackson uh, committed. And basically, uh, they were waiting for Jaron Stevenson to see what he was going to do for the last six months. And they haven't particularly recruited anyone else hard in 2024. So that's why it's quiet there. And then in 2025, they, they've got their offers out. Uh, they've had a visitor. But some of those guys are, are waiting to see who's really serious about them, who's leaving, all those things, because some of them are reclass candidates as well. And as we talked about with the official visit change, you can only take one official visit per school. You can take as many as you want. You can, you want to officially officially visit 80 schools. You can do it, but you can only go there once. So I think everyone's being a little more strategic and kind of mapping out, you know, is this kid thinking of deciding early? Cause if he is, you know, maybe we get him in, in the fall, but if he's going to decide, you know, next November, then maybe we wait until August to get him to try to officially visit. So there's a little bit of that going on. And then, um, in the background is the, is the transfer portal uh, because, uh, you know, that's changed forever how people are going to build teams. And I think the days, and we wrote this in the, the weekly scoop this past week, the days of UNC taking five and six high, five and six man high school classes is over. That's not going to happen again unless something strange happens, <laughs> something very, very strange. 
I think more than likely the way it's going to be is you're going to identify, you know, seven or eight kids that you really like in a high school class with the hopes of getting two or three of them. And then whatever roster holes you might have moving forward, you fill them with the portal. So add all that together. And there's just not a lot going on with recruiting right now. And UNC being in season um, stuff will pick up. I think in the next couple of weeks, we, maybe we can talk about that on next week's edition, but there'll be some holiday tournaments that have local guys playing. And um, December, the last three weeks is kind of like, a little preview of what july is basically because there's tournaments and yep. events everywhere across the nation yeah and y'all the dude uh the dude with the spectacles on in this podcast right now is the most sourced up uh recruiting guy in north carolina so if you uh and that's only because dave Tellup is now with the spurs or wherever it is he is um but if if, if you hear sherelle say this is why something's happening go ahead and write it put it in a letter, mail it to yourself, however you want to make that official. It's it's pretty much booked. Um, we appreciate that insight, Sherelle. We'll definitely keep our eye on some of those things and see what happens next. Fellas, before we go, you have come to know and love this segment that we used to call Two Cents, but now it's Two Cents brought to you by Congruity. So I'd like you to get your last two cents in here before we go home for the evening. Uh, and again, if you'd like to to save two cents or much, much more, Get in touch with our friends at Congruity. They handle HR solutions, benefits solutions. Uh, basically, they will help you optimize your small or medium-sized business. You have a national brand. But they're locally focused. They're big fans of Inside Carolina. Much like the folks that sponsor any content here, we know you can trust them or we not. We would not allow them to sponsor our content. So what I'm going to tell you is go to uh, congruityhr slash Heels. All right? Go online, congruityhr slash Tar Heels. That website will get you a free assessment for your business, and Congruity can tell you how much money they can save you. They can tell you how they're going to do it, and they can tell you how they can make your business better so that you can focus on profitability, uh, sales growth, whatever your capacity desires are in your workplace. They can help you with it. Call them up. Check them out. Congruity HR, we appreciate their sponsorship of this here segment. Two cents before we go home. Sherelle, give me two pennies if you would, please, sir. Uh, Drake Powell started his season this past week, two games, two blowout wins, two really good performances. So you like what you see from him. And then, uh, I don't know if it's the opponents or, uh, just, uh, UNC, uh, playing faster, but last year, um, through the first nine games, UNC had four times, four times UNC had games with 70 or fewer possessions this year. It's only been one. So that could be who they play. It, it could be UNC pushing the tempo, but, uh, again, back to um, kind of the style of basketball that Carolina fans have been used to for so long. I think those numbers bear it out that it, it's closer to that than what we experienced the last few years. I would say it's probably a combination of all those things, but that is a, that is a pretty a pretty eye popping stat because I know North Carolina and we've talked about it on the show, but North Carolina fans have been excited to see guys with a greater basketball IQ. But then when you combine you know the young Elliot Cadeau and his willingness to get the ball forward, that absolutely has to has to be pushing things i love to see it bearing out uh in numerical form sean give me your two pennies please sir all right i will stay with with current players uh transfers in terms of with jalen withers and cormac ryan um both have been talked about a lot on the message boards as well as on the podcast in the past i think withers i think he just needs a, a big increase in confidence um and i think you could see see that in the second half there is a possession where 
uh, UNC was in transition. And if he, I think, really felt confident, you would have seen him calling for the ball uh, as he was spotting up at the three-point line. Uh, but it was almost like he was running, you know, running down the floor, just wanting to mix in and not really, you know, stand out from the action. And I think, you know, he's a guy that whether he is at seventh man or what he becomes, they need to get stuff out of him. And I think when he when he drove hard left, uh, two dribbles kicked out to Ingram. You know that was a beautiful possession. I think he's done well when he's driven hard and kept it to two to three dribbles. You know, from a three point perspective, I'm not sure really what to expect. I know he shot great last year at Louisville. Um, his shot's been pretty off from from three, but I think if he can, uh, you know, it might not have it happen against Kentucky, but um, you know if they can work to get his confidence up. Uh, I think that's going to be really important to what he can hopefully become, uh, because I think right now a lot of it is just, you know, uh, obviously getting used to new teammates, but I think his confidence has been been down. And I think you could see that in the second half of the UConn game. Um, yeah, he's he's then, in a new role. I mean, I, I'd yeah. love that you call that out. Like he's in a new role and maybe it's, maybe it's that confidence can be found in just, you know, understanding what it is he can bring. I mean, I think a lot of people, I know the three of us see him as an energy guy and, and his athleticism could absolutely just be an energy injection for this roster. Uh, that'll be something interesting to watch. I love that you, uh, I love that you honed in on that. What's your, uh, what's your second penny, sir? Well, Sorry to step on you. It, no, I, I think it is, it is hard when, Hey, you might only be getting one three point a game and everything depends on that. But yeah. he, he, you know, there's, there's opportunities for him to, to create his own, own confidence. And I think he needs to be more aggressive like he was when he was driving, driving to the basket. Um, Second one, Cormac Ryan over six from three, you know, was, were some of his shot attempts too quick? Um, you know, were they too early in the, in the shot clock? You know, that I think some of those were, um, I thought UConn actually did a really good job of closing out on those shots because they looked wide open. And then, um, you know, and it was Spencer at Caravan. So two guys, you wouldn't expect great closeouts, but I think they, they made it more contested um, from a quickness pers- perspective. I think, that's how he shot last year. You can go back and, and look at, at how he was shooting in at Notre Dame. And he has a very quick release. I think part of it is, you know, is he fully healthy after that, uh, you know, the Villanova game where he, where he tried to miss the free throw and, and got hurt. So is, is he getting that same lift on his shot? And I still think at times, and you kind of noticed this last year, but sometimes he, he tends to lean back or, or fade away just a, a little bit versus going straight up and straight down. So I think those are those are some things to to watch for, and I think ways he can get back on track a little bit. Because uh, I think towards the end he was almost trying to aim aim it in, and you could see when he missed, you know, he, he, you could see a lot of the angst uh, come come with that. But at the same time, with him, you saw him attack uh, Spencer off the dribble. You saw him make a few nice cuts. So are there other ways where he's not so reliant on having to take six or seven threes if he's not not hitting them? But I think with a few tweaks and maybe, you know, this longer layoff, hopefully he can uh, provide what UNC needs him to provide. Yeah, I know Sherelle said that a lot in the the post game with Tommy after the uh, the UConn game is that you know they've got to get more out of uh, out of Cormac Ryan and, and and again it doesn't have to be twenty points a night but he's got to be a reliable threat uh, to hit one or two a game because if not teams can sag off of him and uh, and prevent him from driving which nobody wants to see that. Guys, I appreciate it as always. I love uh, love what y'all bring to the show. Shout out to uh, to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring. Shout out to Congruity HR for sponsoring us. Uh, appreciate John Siegley producing. Uh, until next time, for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, 
I am Joey Powell for the Coast Coast Podcast here on Inside Carolina. We will talk to you very, very soon. Late. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.